don't be afraid to be wrong. Um, when I'm questioning something now, uh, I often say, uh, I hope I'm wrong. Please, if, if you think I'm wrong, don't, don't be shy. Say you're wrong. Just know that I'm going to say, well, then tell me how. This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth, exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host, John Barsness. Sean, why don't you talk to us a little bit about your background um, and, and, and kind of leading up to where you're at today? I don't know. I like to start just because I think it's a it's an interest, a little interesting. I have a degree in secondary education. Uh, I'm supposed to be a, a high school or a middle school, like social studies and history teacher. Uh, yet I've never done that other than my student teaching. <laughs> uh, and a few years ago, when I worked at Ann, one of one of the guys who was on my team, when I said, "Yeah, I got a degree in education," he's like, "Oh my God, now I understand you. <laughs> You're always like teaching." <laughs> I said, yeah, I, I guess I am. <laughs> so out of college, uh, uh, I, you know, my, my immediate post-college plans didn't work out. And I decided to do what I said I would never do, which was move home and, uh, and eat well at my mom's house. And uh, my brother-in-law uh, worked for Macy's and he said, I can get you an, an interview if you want. And I said, sure. So in the interview, I said, uh, I'd like to be in like loss prevention or operations. So of course they made me a sales manager instead. And I went through their, you know, their executive training program. Uh, and that started my career in, in retail, um, where for the most part I've been ever since, except for, I guess it's three, three trips to, you know, working on the service partner side versus being, you know, on the client side. Um, and worked for a bunch of different retailers, you know, Macy's in a, you know, a bunch of different roles from sales manager to um, the advertising department, construction. Um, so I've done a lot of different stuff that I think gives me a, uh, sometimes a unique perspective on the retail world. Um, born and raised in New Jersey, live here uh, right now, I have a family wonderful wife and three kids who uh, I can't believe are all in high school now. Um, you know, hobbies and stuff. Uh, I like to make things. Uh, and actually about a year ago started um, playing around with wood again. And then it became uh, something that was really nice from a uh, mental standpoint in the midst of a global pandemic to be able to go and work on something and turn my brain off, if you will, about everything that's going on and just focus on, you know, how do I take this wood and turn it into what I want it to look like, um, which was fantastic and has now actually turned into a very small uh, side hustle, if you will. You know, I spent my weekends making, um, it started off as cornhole boards and beer pong tables and now I'm making furniture and uh, a cash, a cash wrap for the, for the guy who cuts my hair, you know, and I'm having a lot of fun doing that. Um, and it, it, it continues to provide me with a really nice, 
mental outlet in the midst of uh, of a world with that has so much that we can't control. And as a you know, as a guy who works in facilities maintenance, I like to control things <laughs> because something will always go wrong. So the more you control, the more bandwidth you have when that thing goes sideways that you knew eventually is going to happen. Something always goes wrong. That's the exciting part. I'm, I'm fascinated because your, your, um, your degree is similar to mine. I, I went to really? school. Well, I went to school and I had, I went to college and I really, the only reason I chose education was because, and I chose physical education instead of social studies, but I only chose that because somebody told me it was the easiest uh, pathway to, to a degree. And so I thought, well, that makes sense. And, and I'll go do that. And then I got to my student teaching and realized, man, I really don't enjoy this. Um, I don't, <laughs> And so I, I got into the career I'm in now because I, I graduated and realized, well, I don't know that I'm going to do anything with this degree. So what else am I going to do? And and so it's, it was fascinating that you said that. And that, I don't know if that was somewhat of your realization or if, if things just, you know, you, you hit the market at the time when nobody was hiring uh, in that area. But I, I always find that fascinating that uh, um, everybody thinks that they have a life plan and, and they're going to school for this and then all of a sudden their career goes in a different direction. So I thought that was fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I would have described myself as having a life plan uh, coming out of college. <laughs> Anything further than a year or two in, <laughs> into the future. <laughs> so how did you, so you, you got into the retail space and you've, you, as you mentioned, you have a, you've held a lot of different positions in the retail space. How did you find yourself into into the operations and facilities side and and built a, a career track in in that area? How did that happen, or what what was the realization for you that went, yeah, this is an area of retail that I really actually enjoy? Um, I started thinking about it when I was uh, working at Burberry building stores, so I had you know been on the construction side of retail for many years at that point. And looking around at, you know, the folks in senior positions, you know, it was my opinion or observation that they seemed to have responsibility many times for construction and facilities. <clears throat> and I had had some facilities experience uh, earlier in my career at Macy's when I worked in the flagship store. Uh, I was a senior building manager in, in building services. Um, and I thought I should go get some more experience on that side, round myself out, um, and I was, you know, also cognizant of the fact that retail construction can be cyclical. You know, when the economy turns down, they don't build stores anymore. Uh, so it was, I don't know, a couple of months maybe after I started having that internal conversation that I got cold called by a recruiter for the director of facilities job at, at Ann Taylor. And I said, yeah, I'd be interested in talking to somebody about that. And uh, they hired me. <laughs> And I spent five and a half years there, um, you know, overseeing the facilities department and um, really enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, I love construction, too. I really liked it. You know, there's a, there's a start, there's a middle, there's an end. You can see what you did. Literally, you can touch it. Um, and if you're in a program doing that, you get to work and help create teams and processes that work, uh, which is fun for me. Um, what I didn't realize going into the facilities side 
that I really appreciate now is it's really all about relationships. You know, at Ann, I had a little over a thousand stores and those were my clients. So what kind of relationships could I develop with my clients, with the field leadership, the, you know, the senior brand leadership so that, uh, you get to understand their needs and pain points. Uh, and at Ann, there was four different brands and each brand had a different personality, um, to it. And the people that worked at those brands had different personalities. So you had to understand that and figure them out. And, um, that's fun, I think. So talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, you're, when you get into, into management roles or, or in leadership and, and you oversee uh, a thousand plus stores or what have you, that footprint, um, how do you go about assessing the types of people you want on your team when you start to understand those clients that you are, are responsible for providing uh, the, the facilities management or service towards, uh, you know, what, what's been your kind of evolution of, um, building teams and, and, uh, and that part of it. That's an interesting question. And I've pretty much in the different spots that I've landed have always inherited a team. Um, I've made tweaks to those teams, but I never had a totally clean slate. Um, but back to my, uh, I'll go back to Anne and the different personalities. Um, your teams have personalities too. The individuals on your teams have personalities. Um, and, and it took a little time, but I think I finally got it right there in terms of who was responsible for which brands um, based upon, I guess, their, their communication style, I suppose, was probably the biggest driver. Um, I tend to be uh, very direct. Um, I think that I have softened that directness or wordsmithed it, if you will, you know, as I've moved through my career. Um, and I think another important part of how you're building your team is not just someone's, I guess, the communication, people might think it's just how you say something, but it's do you listen as well. I think that that's a really important aspect to leadership in general, um, is your, or are your listening skills good? The, the, the opportunities that you've had, uh, as you've moved and progressed in your career, what were some of the, the driving forces for you to, ex to look for, uh, new opportunities? You mentioned getting cold called by a recruiter for, uh, for the, the position to get you into sort of the facility side of things. Um, but what has kind of been your thought process as you've looked at the industry that you're in and, uh, examined other opportunities that, and, and helped you move to those, those roles? I wish I could say, wow, I had this, uh, <clears throat> this whole spreadsheet laid out <laughs> and I'm very, very methodically been moving along, but it's not that case at all. Uh, sometimes, you know, I think on some of my moves, it was, uh, yeah, I think I've, I've done everything I can in this position and it's time to look for 
more responsibility. And, you know, in general, that was, you know, moving from one company to another. Um, sometimes it's just luck. Uh, or simply asking when I worked at Macy's and I was in building services, um, there was this guy who ran all of the corporate construction jobs for the building. So he worked for Federated at the time. Um, and he's, he announced that he was leaving. And like I went, it feels like immediately to my boss's boss and said, I don't want it to appear like I'm stepping over a warm body here, but I'd really like an opportunity to interview for that job. And... And Roy made it happen. He said, okay. And he made a phone call and I ended up getting the job. I think, you know, looking back on it, I think that that might be the only time that I've, you know, so visibly stepped forward to seize an opportunity in general. Um, it's just been kind of luck where you meet someone and, and spend some time with them. And, you know, a year later, someone calls and said, hey, so-and-so, said they knew you were looking for a project manager. Are you interested? And that was because I sat next to an architect at a Yankees game for three and a half hours one day. <laughs> and I got the job. <laughs> so uh, I guess a little bit of directness and some some luck and being in the right place at the right time, I guess, has been pretty much how I bounced around. Um, generally, with an eye on, I'd like to take on some more responsibility and learn something new. Um, and it's worked out. You mentioned earlier in the conversation, uh, having opportunity to be a part of, of construction in, in that, in the retail space. Um, what part of that was most appealing to you? Like what, you know, you talked about the fact that there's a beginning, a middle and an end to construction. There's a lot that goes on in between that and it never stays on schedule, unfortunately, or at least usually it doesn't. Um, what was what was what did you find most uh, exciting about uh, the new construction uh, and uh, and being a part of that atmosphere? I kind of think about my the construction portion of my career is, is sort of two different phases. So when I was running all the corporate construction jobs in Macy's Herald Square, that's open store renovation. <clears throat> you know the. That building's really considered two buildings, the 7th Avenue side and the Broadway side. And the floor plates are probably 35,000 square feet on the 7th Avenue side and 60 to 65,000 square feet on the Broadway side. And, um, you know, you take over large portions of a floor, put up a barricade and do something behind it, you know, all while the store's open. And, you know, you're, you're in essence going into someone's home and, uh, disrupting it sometimes significantly while they are trying to create an engaging client experience that makes someone want to come back. Uh, there is certainly ample opportunity for things to go wrong in that environment and people to get rather annoyed with you. So in that part of you know my career, you know problem solving, figuring out how to get from point A to point B or, or, or point F, um, in that kind of environment could be really challenging and a lot of fun. That building was a ton of fun to work in. Not everyone can be successful there. Um, 
but I, but I, I learned a lot. And when I left there, I went to Tommy Hilfiger and I was doing, you know, new store construction in malls all over the country. So first off, I couldn't go and walk to my job site every day if I wanted to, like I could at Harold Square. I could literally spend the entire day on, I could have seven or eight jobs going at once and just walk around the building and watch and check things. Um, and you had your, your whole little space all to yourself. You're in a mall somewhere and you've got, you know, sweet 100, go ahead and, and build it out. So, uh, that was different and, and interesting in that it, you know, it was really about, I think, communication and relationships and, and, you know, managing people from afar. Uh, and that was fun too. Um, so I guess, you know, like I said, you know, there's, there's a start, there's a middle, there's an end. There's always something happening in those phases. Um, and that's where the fun lies, I think. And if, again, as I said earlier, you know, if, you, if you're doing programs, you get to start to working with the same contractors uh, and same subs, you get to know people and, that, you know, those relationships um, are really beneficial to both sides. Um, I, I learned after a while in Herald Square, you know, uh, well, are we going to make the schedule? Yeah, yeah, yes, we are. <clears throat> and I guess at the start, I would accept that answer. But the more I paid attention and learned, I'd ask more probing questions and then finally get to the point where like, um, okay, I, I, I need a no BS answer here because I don't think we're going to make it. <clears throat> so why don't, you know. I used to say this all the time. There's no time machine that exists that allows you to go back in time and unscrew the screw up. So why don't we just talk about it like now? Because if it does happen, what are we going to do? And, you know, I have to control that message to our client. So why can't we all just talk in, re in, in real terms now and do everything we can to keep it on the tracks, but allow me to start to go and set expectations and tell people there might be a problem. This is what we're doing about it versus the day shows up and we don't hit it. And then people, you know, lose their mind and start to email God and country. Well, I, I can't imagine that ever happens in the construction <laughs> space. We've never experienced that. No, nah, that never, that never <laughs> happens. <laughs> what is maybe one of your most challenging, but also rewarding uh, projects that you've been a part of? Uh, the bridge project in Macy's Herald Square. Um, you have the Seventh Avenue building and the Broadway building. There's a bank of elevators and escalators that dissect it, called the Cross Bank. And in the uh, cellar level of the Seventh Avenue building, there was retail space, and then this double height stock space. So you couldn't walk from the cellar level on the Seventh Avenue building to the Broadway side. Broadway side had the cellar in it, which was housewares. Um, so we, you know, erected a steel deck and poured concrete and uh, dropped two of the cross bank uh, elevators down an extra floor and um, put in an escalator and created, I think it was 17,000 square feet of, you know, retail space that had never been, <clears throat> you know, had never been there before. And that was like my first project when I was, became the project manager in that position. And I remember when I was interviewing, uh, 
and I get the job on my boss, MC. She said, hey, congratulations. Make sure they don't stick you with that bridge project. <laughs> I was like, why? What do you know? So sure enough, they're like, oh, hey, we're doing this project called the bridge project. You know, I was like, oh, okay. So honestly, you know, I there were aspects of that job that I had never done before, or frankly, since I haven't done any steel or concrete work really since, or, you know, dropped elevators or escalators. Um, uh, there were times when I was in over my head and... Uh, but boy, did I ask a lot of questions and watch. Um, <clears throat> I came in on a Sunday night because they were going to uh, bring a crane and, and boom in through the sidewalk, the escalator that was going to go down to the new space. And I'd never seen that happen before. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go in and watch that. It seems interesting. So I get there and I watch the whole process and they get it inside and I look at it and I say to the guys, I go, it's facing the wrong direction. And they said, no, no, it's not. I said, yes, yes, it is. Now, I only knew that because I had been in a meeting like the day before or whatever and listening. Um, and I said, no, I, I talked to Lou. Lou was a job super. I said, it's facing the wrong direction. Go get your drawings. I'll prove it. So they went and got their drawings. And I said, see? So they spun it because it was on like little dollies. 360 inside the space with only about six inches of spare on each side where they would have had to lift it up and take it out of the building, turn it around and bring it back in. And, uh, and that was interesting. And I, you know, I wasn't sure I was going to speak up, but I was like, no, no, it's facing the wrong way. I have to, I, these guys do this for a living, but I know they're wrong. <laughs> so I spoke up. <laughs> So that that project was that project was a lot of a lot of fun. Biggest project in the history of the building. Um, and we didn't really negatively impact the building the whole time we were doing it. Which, you know, I'm sure there was a level of luck involved in that. Well, as you pointed out earlier, there's some luck, but there's also some paying attention too. And in that situation you obviously saved uh time and money by catching something that uh, that wasn't done correctly, which I think in, in construction management especially, there's a lot of, um, if you're not collaborative, you're typically seen as somebody who's going to be finger pointing uh, and not taking ownership of things. And it sounds to me like you've learned both in, in truly listening to people, but also paying attention to enough of the details to say, hey, I don't think this is right. If you were talking to a new uh, site supervisor or project manager or somebody getting into this space for the first time, what would be some of the, the key lessons that you would want to pass on to a new person that you've learned over the years? You're more than likely going to work with a lot of people who know a lot more than you do. So uh, you'd be smart um, to uh, pay attention ask lots of questions, uh, be a sponge. Don't be afraid to, uh, to speak up though. Don't be, don't be afraid to be wrong. Um, when I'm questioning something now, uh, I often say, uh, I hope I'm wrong. Please. If, if you think I'm wrong, don't, don't be shy. Say you're wrong. Just know that I'm going to say, well, then tell me how, like, Let's figure out why you're right and I'm wrong. 
because I think in that relationship, both sides, you know, benefit from something and you probably learn something. So, um, you know, surround yourself with smart people, be, uh, be honest, raise your hand, uh, when you've made a mistake, uh, so that people know that you're the type of person that, you know, isn't going to run and run around and as you put it, point fingers. Uh, I think, you know, you might not see the the benefits of that right away, but you you will in the in the long run if you're the type of person that uh, has a team first mentality. You know, with the you know the eye on the overall success of the project, um, and really everyone involved, because sometimes in construction, and frankly, facilities too, you can have contentious relationships. Really, everyone just wants to deliver the project and move on, you know, and, and we really can't do that. You know, you have to be successful together in order to do that. Oh, ideally. I mean, you could drag a sub across the finish line and never want to work with them again, but it's that's not fun and it's not conducive to the job, frankly. Um, yeah, be a good listener. Ask questions. Be honest and open. Well, it sounds like some really good leadership lessons in general, too, for people that uh, I think not only for new people coming in that are reporting to somebody, because we all report to somebody at some point, um, uh, but also leaders, you know, as, as you come in, it's uh, I always say I'm going to hire smarter people than me in areas that I'm not real bright in it to begin with. So uh, the good news is that uh, w when I sit around the table, I'm certainly not the smartest person in the room, which uh, always makes me feel better because then I know that things are getting done and I don't have to be the one that has to carry all of the load. So um, in the last couple of years, you have taken on a new role with uh, with Weight Watchers uh, and you've also been on the board of Connex, which is one of the larger uh, industry boards, uh, that in, in your space, talk to us a little bit, I guess, about how you got into both of those, uh, opportunities and, and what, uh, opportunities you've seen, especially on the, on being on a board of being able to sort of hear and influence where the industry is going and, and your trade. Sure. Um, well, my relationship with connects formerly prism, which was uh, not prison where they have bars, but prison professional retail store maintenance. <laughs> One of the reasons why we changed the name <clears throat> uh, to Connects. Uh, I mean, that dates back to when I started at Ann. Um, so 11, 11 years now, I think. Um, and like I said a moment ago, you know, I can't be successful at my job unless I have really good partners. And I used to say service providers um, until I started working at uh, TD Bank. And one of the guys on my CBRE team, Mike, always said partner, service partner. And I noticed that and I started to think about it and, uh, and I changed. So now I say service partner because I can't be successful without them. And frankly, they need me too. Because uh, I'm the business for them. I'm their revenue stream. Uh, and when I started going to Connects events, uh, I used to be, uh, you know, always with a blazer on, but I would, you know, like button it and have my name with my lanyard tucked inside so you couldn't see my name. And, and I'd walk the floor and, and talk to people. 
but not a lot. Uh, and now I don't do that. Now I have my name out. I'll stop and talk to anyone who wants to talk to me. Uh, and in general, like if it's a, a roofing guy and, and I'm not responsible for those, like I'm in a 100% leased environment, I'll very quickly say, listen, you know, I'm not the guy you want to talk to. Your time's super valuable. You should talk to someone else because I can't use your services in this job. But who knows where I'll be a year or two from now. You know, maybe then. So, you know, membership in that association, I, you know, I think at a very basic level has taught me the value of, uh, of networking and uh, knowing people so that if you don't know something, in general, you know someone who does so that you can call and ask a question like, hey, I'm looking at this proposal. What do you think? Or, you know, I'm about to start a project on, you know, that entails, you know, X, Y, and Z. What are the kind of things that I should make sure I, I get squared away before I start so that it, it doesn't go sideways for me later because I never would have thought of that kind of thing. Um, and, and frankly, I suppose the best part about being in that association or an association in general are the relationships. So uh, I joined when I was with Ann and after five and a half years there, Ann was bought by Cena Retail and I got packaged out of my job. Um, and I went to the national show. Uh, I wasn't on the board at the time. And I went to network and tell people I'm looking for a job. Um, and when you lose your job, and I don't know if you've gone through it, John, and I, and I hope that you haven't and never will because it's generally not fun. Uh, everyone says, hey, I want to help you. And, and, and in the moment, they mean it. You know, there are that there will then be like this subset of people who really mean it and will call you or text you and say, hey, I heard about this. Uh, do you want me to make a phone call on your behalf? Or you uh, out of the blue get a text message, hey, uh, how you doing? And it's usually in hindsight that you realize that text message showed up when you were at a really low point. And like, uh, you know, there's some big hand in the universe involved in things. Someone just decided to reach out and check up on you and it lifts your spirits. So, you know, it was it was at, you know, that show that I ran into someone who I just knew in the industry. had never worked with her. But she said, oh, I, I hear TD's hiring and there's someone here. Let me I'll make sure I introduce you and had a conversation. And then after that interviewed and five months later, I was working there. So. In that subset of people who really want to do something for you, there were a lot of service partners, many of whom I'd never actually worked with. But I just knew because I would talk to them on the marketplace floor at the, at the show and or see them in networking things. And, you know, I, I'd like to think it's because I would listen and talk to them and be straight with them that they, you know, thought of me when... They heard of something, you know, and that's incredibly, uh, I don't know, heartwarming is the right, the right word, but it, it really made me glad that I was a part of that association and that there were people like that in an association that, that I was a participant in. Um, and it made me want to be a leader in it, you know, so I'm, I'm on my I guess I've been elected three times now, once as an alternate and two times as a voting member. So, 
I'm I'm happy to serve on the board and and I do so because that association has been really good to me and I want to give back to it and and try and help it you know continue and grow you know and be in a position to help you know everyone involved in it you know be more successful in what they do, be it, you know, be on the service partner side, which is, you know, finding more work and generating revenue and employing people and we're on the, you know, the multi-site side where we're just trying to get stuff done, you know, so that our clients are happy. And so your, your current role is director of facilities and construction at uh, Weight Watchers. Um, talk to us a little bit about what that role entails. Why, uh, um, why enjoy what you're doing there? Um, well, it's funny. I got the construction aspect of it, like back in August and I joke with my boss. I'm like, that's great, but we're not building anything. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know when we will, (laughs) but when we do, I'm ready. You know, it's, what are we at? I think 605 studios now, three corporate spaces. I sort of have my hand in the Canadian portfolio. There's some people up there who actually do the day-to-day, but um, I like to help them out when I can. Uh, it's your typical you know, retail facilities maintenance stuff. We partner with Cushman Wakefield. I've got a small team uh, based out of St. Louis that, that I think actually does a pretty darn good job. And um, in the midst of you know, a world that no one imagined a year ago. Uh, I think we've taken it all pretty well in stride and um, done a good job in keeping our clients, you know, positioned when they can actually have people physically in their studios, positioned to, you know, provide the best client experience that you can in a crazy, crazy world. And, and that, that, that excites me. I enjoy that. Speaking of, uh, I think any of us that have been in the uh, construction or facilities management space, the last year plus have been uh, things that we never could prepare for um, and never really thought we would have to. Um, What were some of the big lessons that you and your team learned in the midst of it that you had to pivot constantly to... uh, to be aware of, especially since you are a multi-state, multi-site uh, organization, every state is different. Uh, they've all gone gone through ebbs and flows through all of this. So, what are some of the things that you and your team have learned that you feel stronger for today because of going through this unprecedented time for us? I think in FM, you just expect the unexpected. I would say probably the thing that was the biggest moving target, and, and you touched on it when you, multi-state. So it's uh, <laughs> the risk like I'm sounding like I'm giving a geography lesson. Each state has different counties and cities and towns, and they all have uh, different, you know, uh, legislative bodies or whatever, you know, local boards having jurisdiction. They all make up their own rules. So in the midst of having, you know, we closed everything just like everybody else did. And then, well, how do you reopen? And, well, there's different capacity limits. 
based upon state, county, city, town. Um, and that was that that point was really driven home for me when because I was the one who was using a New York Times link uh, to each state to see what the you know the latest capacity uh, restrictions were and they updated it every day. God bless them. Um, but I think there's 67 counties in California and they all have their own rules. And my boss is like, yeah, we need an update. And I start I don't know, an hour or so in, I, I text him like, you got a minute? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, sure. I'm like, Brian, there's 67 counties in California. Uh, I don't know. I spend maybe on average 45 minutes reading, looking for their website and reading through it and double checking. Like, um, we need to do this another way. I can't do this all by myself. Um, so in the midst of all that, I think we all got a better understanding for how rapidly things would change, um, the importance of setting expectations on how quickly you could react to that, um, how to find additional help. So to solve that, we reached out to our operations team and said, the local like territory managers need to get involved because they're going to know what's going on there uh, better than I will. We ended up with a smart sheet that um, they could send notifications about changes in capacity. I would get notified. Um, if they did it correctly, they'd provide me with a link to where they saw it. I would read it, interpret it, and write back, yes, this impacts you. You have to pay attention to it, or no, it doesn't. And I would put my reasons why it doesn't apply to us. Um, that really improved the timeliness in which we reacted to changes like that. Um, overall, in terms of like just stuff changing, it's really kind of like, well, that happens all the time. Um, yeah, of course that changed. Or, you know, is it going to change? We joke now, well, what time is it? You know, like, well, here it is. It's 11 o'clock on uh, Wednesday morning. It hasn't changed as of right now. But all bets are off five minutes from now. So... Um, I think, I think we, we may have Im improved upon our, uh, agility or nimbleness in terms of dealing, uh, with stuff. I appreciate that. Uh, I think all of us who have been in that industry, especially if we are, uh, multi-state, uh, organizations, um, we all struggled with that, uh, because there was always something that was changing and, and you just adapt. And ultimately I think what it, it, we were mindful of the fact that we had people who counted on us to make the right decisions so that they felt protected and so that they could go and do their job uh, without having to stress about it. And so, uh, you know, in, in some ways, we found ourselves to be in, um, to feel good about what we were doing too, because it wasn't just about making money. Uh, it was about making sure that lives were protected and we were doing what was right, not just for our people, but for all the people that we intersected with on a daily basis. Yeah, and when I would do my response, um, I'd, I'd take the time to type why, because um, you know, I want the TM who's asking the question to feel confident that they're getting a good answer. Um, I've, I've joked in the, over the years, like when touring stores, I'd, I'd say to the store manager or you know, the regional manager, or whatever, I'm like, we don't hire you for your, um, 
for your MEP knowledge. We hire you because you're creating this client experience that brings people back. Let me and my team worry about the other stuff. So uh, I guess it's kind of always been my policy that when you're when you're answering a question or doing something, explaining the why behind it uh, alleviates stress, uh, elevates confidence, um, affords you opportunities, you know, for them to understand your thought process and what you're doing for them just so that they feel comfortable with it and they don't waste time uh, second-guessing it or having additional conversations. Um, they can move on to other things that need their attention. One thing that caught my attention uh, and part of the reason I reached out because I thought you'd be a fantastic guest on, uh, on this podcast was your uh, positive uh, thought that you put out on LinkedIn. Uh, and, and I was curious to see where that came from, how you came up with the idea and why, you're, why you do that and why you feel it's, it's important for you um, to, to, to do that on a daily basis. Well, I did it. Really, honestly, for, for, for selfish reasons, because um, I'm coming up on close to a year now. LinkedIn can't tell you the exact date, unfortunately, but it was, I'm guessing, like a week or so after you know we closed. And I was just uh, watching the news every day, which I don't do anymore, and uh, not in a great place really um i mean there's you know i've never experienced a global pandemic and i'm worried about my job and providing for my family and isolating and um it's easy to get to a point where that's overwhelming and i would i was getting to that point so i thought <clears throat> i really need to be more positive and if i think of a positive thought every day at least one time every day, there is a moment of posit positivity. And um, I thought, well, if, I, if that's going to help me, maybe it helps one other person and I'll do it on LinkedIn because I like being on LinkedIn and had, you know, rather infrequently posted stuff in the past. So uh, I kind of said that in my first post, you know, why I was going to do it and that I hoped it would be beneficial. And, um, I'm not even sure I, I thought at the time, like, do I just do it Monday through Friday or and I, I, I was doing it seven days a week and I haven't missed a day um, since I started. And sometimes it's really uh, it's really helpful for me. I've you know, I'm, I'm sure that I'm like everybody else that I've had my ups and downs over the last year. And, and I'm certainly way more aware of uh, mental health now um, than I ever was and probably should talk to someone myself <laughs> but that that one moment of positivity each day helps me and i know that it helps others i've gotten a lot of really nice feedback from folks um hey that was great today or that really you know that really resonated with me um and sometimes you know i'm really thoughtful about it <clears throat> uh sometimes i you know I just sort of get into a theme on something like, you know, on happiness or helping others. And I try, you know, I've got a spreadsheet that I put them all on so that I don't repeat. And I try and, you know, 
search something and figure out like two weeks worth and you know but then something might happen in the middle of it and I go oh, well I'm thinking about that today and I'll just drop you know something like that in on it um, it's been it's been enjoyable for me um, helpful to me and apparently to some a few other people uh, and in the midst of everything that's going on um, incredibly pleasing and gratifying to me that people look forward to it. Well, I, I certainly know that uh, that you are not alone in, in the thought process behind uh, having to um, navigate not just work, but life uh, in the midst of this, which is, uh, oh I think God. all of us don't uh, don't appreciate how much we we go up and down. And like you, I, I, I actually resonated with what you said about not paying attention to the news. Uh, I, I, I stopped doing that because I could get stuck in the cycle of just constantly listening for something, hoping that maybe something was going to change or going down rabbit holes of the negativity. So um, I appreciate it. I, I certainly am paying attention to them and, and I forward them on and and, and uh uh, share them out with my network as well. So I appreciate that uh, a tremendous amount, and uh, have absolutely appreciated your your insights today and your conver- and the conversation today. And uh, I really do appreciate you being a part of this uh, as we try to launch this uh, this small and uh, and hopefully meaningful podcast at some point uh, to somebody. Uh, if we just touch one person, I think it's worth uh, the time and energy. So I really do appreciate it, uh, and thank you very much for uh, being a part of it. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. I really have. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. Take it easy, John. Yep. Stay safe and healthy. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, people drive growth.